I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Welcome to Working with the Word, a once again weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 61st episode of Working with the Word. We hope everyone had a good end to the year 2021 and a great start to 2022. We want to extend a special greeting to all of our new listeners who may have found us through the connections to our recent interviews at the end of last year. We hope to encourage you in your reading and studying of God's Word this year as well with the rest of our audience. Today, we are picking up where we left off on November 2nd with our inductive series on the Gospel of John. We've been working our way through this book trying to use the skills of observation, interpretation, and application in our study. This episode is a pretty extensive observation episode, and as we've done with other books of the Bible in the previous two sections of John, our main goal today is to simply read through John chapters 9 through 12 and observe what the text says. Then, over the next few weeks, we'll break down these chapters to do more specific interpretation and application. So, if you have a Bible handy, have it ready at John 9 for our reading in just a moment. But before we do that, let's briefly talk about our previous two sections of this gospel. So in John chapters 1 through 4, we talked about that in terms of the period of consideration. So Jesus was presented to the world for consideration for us to think about who he is, what he came to do. So John, the author, introduced Jesus to us readers as the divine and eternal word of God who created everything. And then John the baptizer introduced Jesus to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And so as we looked at John chapters 1 through 4, we saw that Jesus mainly presents himself through interactions with different kinds of people, right? First of all, in chapter 1 to his own disciples who started following him because they heard his teaching, they were curious. Jesus asked them, what do you seek? And they wanted to stay with him. And so when, when his first disciples heard what he was saying and teaching, and they saw his signs in chapter 2, the, the water turning to wine, they believed in him, and so they began to follow him. And then in chapter 3, Jesus talked to Nicodemus, who is a high-ranking teacher of the Pharisee party. He seems honestly curious about Jesus. He comes to him with a question, and Jesus tells him, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. You have to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus interacted with someone very different, the Samaritan woman in chapter 4 um, that he met by the well of Jacob. She was just getting a drink of water outside the city, and Jesus offered her living water. So what, one of the things we noticed, one of the most important things, is that in each of those interactions, it becomes clear that there is something special about Jesus, that he is a unique person, that he's not just your everyday average Jewish rabbi, but there's something very special about him. And that leads us to consider his claims and who he is. But of course, that led to some controversy, right? Yeah, as we pick up in chapter 5 through 6 especially, we call that our controversy section. As Jesus is becoming more well-known, as he's allowing himself to become more well-known, we see there's this question of 
Who is Jesus and could he really be the Messiah? That continues even through chapter 7 and 8 of our previous section that gets more into the conflict itself that Jesus has with these religious leaders. Those questions of who is Jesus, could he really be the Messiah, are popular questions and conversations repeated throughout these chapters. Some are genuinely interested to find out if Jesus really is the Messiah, but they end up not liking what Jesus has to say. For example, in John chapter 6, when the large group leave him after the feeding of the 5,000 discussion with the crowds. Others, like the religious leaders, are there just straight up angry with Jesus and are looking for ways to kill him. The controversial discussions are truly ramping up to a very clear conflict between Jesus and the Jews, this term that John uses not to describe the whole group, but often for the religious leaders. And this conflict will continue to escalate over the next few chapters, which we're reading today, and will reach the penultimate climax of the book in chapter 12, when Jesus' hour has finally come and he arrives in Jerusalem. And so as we pick up today, we're in John chapter 9, and we will read from the Christian Standard Bible. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, How were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed, and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again they asked the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. 
We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? he asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, We aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief like a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd." This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon! He's crazy! Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you don't believe me because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Isn't it written in your law, I say you are gods? If he called those whom the word of God came to gods, and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is me and I in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there twelve hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble, because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am on my way to wake him up. Then the disciple said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, What are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. 
You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, so that they could arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Then a large crowd of Jews learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. The next day, when the large crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him, so they had done these things to him. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd, which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. And the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it, and what was said, it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, the voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, who said, Lord, who has believed our message, and whom has the Lord of the arm been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes, or understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So we're calling this the period of crisis for good reason. As we've seen, the conflict has really increased. As we've read, you can kind of feel the tension building as we move towards the moment where Jesus is finally going to be crucified. Mm -hmm. We've moved from just considering Jesus in chapters 1 through 4 to Jesus embroiled in a little bit of controversy in 5 through 6. And then bringing kind of a conflict between him and the Jews in chapters 7 and 8. Well, now it's a full-out crisis. And beginning with chapter 9, we saw that there's another Sabbath healing, very similar, parallel to the healing of the lame man we read about in chapter 5. And from, from my perspective, I think chapter 9 is, is one of the funniest chapters in John. <laughs> it's full of irony yeah. because at the end of the story, the only person who can see clearly is the blind beggar, mm -hmm. the man who's been healed. 
And it's the Jewish leaders who are so blinded by their prejudice that they make themselves look like fools because they're unwilling to acknowledge the basic facts of the story, the basic facts of what Jesus has done for, for this blind beggar. And so you see the crisis that comes from that, and they throw him out of the synagogue because of his faith in Jesus. And that leads into Jesus kind of continuing this discussion that seems to pick up from the end of chapter 9 with, his, with these religious leaders, and he compares himself to them as the good shepherd versus these hired hands. Only the one who truly loves the sheep, even willing to lay down his life for them, is the good shepherd. And as he has given evidence to show that he is the good shepherd, as they can see by his good works, you know, they want to see, are you clearly the Messiah? And he says, haven't you seen the things I've been doing? But they obviously haven't. They have, but they haven't, right? That thing we've talked about mm-hmm. before, they see, but they don't see, just like you've mentioned, just as I think is a big point of chapter 9. So while the Jewish leaders are so angry trying to kill Jesus, it's interesting that this chapter ends focused on those who are across the Jordan, those who are outside of the children of God, as far as like outside the people of Israel, maybe the better way to say that. And they're coming to Jesus and believing in him because of the preaching of John. And understand that's really pointing to Jesus being the Christ. And so in chapter 11, this is Jesus's seventh sign, the raising of Lazarus. And I think in a way that this final sign of Jesus is the greatest of all, because it shows that Jesus is master over death itself, which mm-hmm. is man's greatest enemy. Right. And it's interesting how Jesus led up to this. Jesus waited. He didn't go to Lazarus right away to heal him from the sickness. He, he waited till he died. But even then, he was in the grave four days until Jesus actually shows up and performs this great miracle. So Jesus waits till everybody knew, recognized that Lazarus was entirely dead, and then amazingly, he called him forth from the tomb. And as a result of that, many people believed, but it was this miracle that really began to set the Jewish leaders in motion to arrest Jesus. They put out a, a basically an arrest warrant for Jesus. And you mentioned at the end of chapter 10, the people, the Jewish leaders get angry. I think they're even angrier in chapter 11. They want Jesus dead. Not only Jesus, but they want Lazarus dead because they're losing their own influence and the people are beginning to flock to Jesus instead. And so we have the triumphal entry, as we sometimes call it, or as often it has been called here in John chapter 12. It's interesting Who is triumphing here? Jesus is the one who is really triumphing, but in a sense, you might take the perspective of it's leading toward the Jewish leader's triumph as ultimately this is going to lead to Jesus' own crucifixion. Jesus begins this chapter, or really towards the middle of this chapter, enters Jerusalem as a king, people praising him and glorifying him, but he knows that by the end of the week, he's going to die labeled as a criminal. As he's speaking to Andrew and Philip, after the Greeks come to him wanting to see Jesus, again, some more interesting ways to see how people outside the flock are coming to the flock and coming to Jesus. Things are really starting to get very tense starting in John chapter 12. The crisis is, again, maybe the the big climax before the ultimate climax in chapters 18, 19, and 20, when again, Jesus' hour has finally come. He references that it's time for him to die, and to be glorified through that death, to do the work that his father has sent him to do. 
Lots of great things in these chapters, lots of things we'll get into more over the next few weeks, more specifically as we look at some of the things that are discussed in here, ultimately in Jesus fulfilling that plan of being our Savior, for us to believe in him as John's main purpose, his main mission statement at the end of the book, that we would have eternal life as we put our faith and belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Yeah, so definitely looking forward to getting into more in depth with these chapters. But we want to leave you with a challenge, as we always do. As we read today, there are a couple of amazing miracles in this reading. In chapter 9, the blind man is restored to his sight. The man who was born blind, he's now able to see as a grown man. And then in chapter 11, Jesus raises a man from the dead. And we, our challenge for you today is, do you believe that those miracles really happened? Is this just fables? Is this a myth? Is this just Jesus' followers coming up with stories later on? Or do you think that these actually happened? And why or why not? And how would you defend your answer to someone who disagreed with you? Think about that. And we'll talk more about that in these miracles and Jesus' teachings here as we get into more depth. Thank you for turning into Working with the Word today. As mentioned, we'll get into more of these chapters. Specifically, next week, we'll start digging into John chapter 9 with that sixth sign about Jesus healing the man who was born blind. Until then, if there are any questions, topics, or books of the Bible, or difficult passages you'd like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can always find and reach out to us on Facebook at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.